Take out your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Now, you're going to think we made all this up. Because believe it or not, we're, we're in a passage today where Jesus is saying, let the children come to me. You're going to think we, we orchestrated all this months in advance. We did no such thing. All right, and, and so what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage. I'm going to pray again, and then I'll talk for a while, much longer than probably you would like me to. But let's, let's do that anyway. Ready? Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. And they, these are, these are people, parents, they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to the disciples, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laying his hands on them. This is how Jesus responds to these children. Let's pray. Lord, help, help us to see what you want us to see this morning out of this brief passage. Help your truth to come to us, to sink deeply into our hearts, and to shape our lives as you would desire. And if you agree with that, go ahead and say, Amen. Amen. Now, despite what you may think, I know what it appears like on the surface, but this, this passage is actually not about children. Look at it again. You don't believe me? This passage is actually not about children. Jesus uses children as an object lesson here to make a very simple yet crucial point. And here is that point. Here's what it is. There is only one way to enter the kingdom of God. All of our kids who are here with us today, listen to this. You'll, you'll remember this. There is only one way to enter the kingdom of God. And that way is to receive the kingdom like a child. That's Jesus' main point. Look again at verses 14 to 15 and you'll see it for yourself. Jesus says, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He doesn't say to them belongs the kingdom of God, meaning the children per se, but to such belongs the kingdom of God. And there's a big difference. The kingdom of God belongs to those who in one way, not, not every way, but who in one way share a very important characteristic with children. What is characteristic of all who can enter the kingdom of God is also characteristic of children, at least one thing. And Jesus says, let the children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then he clarifies what he means in verse 15, where he says, I say to you truly, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. And there was that child before everybody. And Jesus says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to receive the kingdom like a child in order to do so. So that leaves us with a very important question. In fact, let's say two questions. Number one, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? And more important than even that elementary theological question is the very personal one. 
Have you done that? Have you received the kingdom of God like a child? Or are you still trying to make your way into the kingdom some other way? Let's follow Jesus and what he's teaching here because it could not be more important. There's another place in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. I want you to flip there. Don't lose your place in Mark, but flip there. And you're going to see Jesus one more time mention this idea of what it takes to enter the kingdom of God and what you cannot enter the kingdom of God without. I used to use an illustration about you needing a passport to enter countries, and I might have to drop that one from what I'm learning nowadays. But, but here it is. Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, I tell you the truth. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never, what? Enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus teaches that you and I must have righteousness of a sufficient degree to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't brand me a heretic yet. I know the faith alone people, I'm, I'm seeing your face. I'm with you. Grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Jesus is not teaching anything opposed to that. But he is saying something which is still true. Don't, don't let your theology kick this out as untrue. This is Jesus speaking. You will never enter the kingdom of God unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness that we find in a certain group of people. Very religious they're the people that you would think have everything together, and if anyone is getting in, it's these guys. But Jesus says, they don't have enough righteousness to get in, and you need to have more if you are going to get in. It must exceed theirs. Ladies and gentlemen, those who come and receive the kingdom like a child have this righteousness that Jesus is talking about. What does it look like? What is it exactly? What is it about these children? What is characteristic of them that needs to be characteristic of all of us? Well, parents, some of you will find this out very soon. Your children are yet young. They're very cute. They make sounds that you, you don't understand exactly what they mean just yet. But one day, those children are going to be able to express themselves in a way that you can understand. And in that day, if you, if you haven't learned this already, you will, you will understand that they're not quite as innocent as we often think. Parents, can you say amen? Yeah, don't say it too loudly, though. Your kids are with you this morning, right? They understand what we're saying here. But that's very true. This is not about how innocent children are. It's the first thing we tend to think. I, I will tell you for time's sake what this is about. Children, whether they like to believe this or not, are helpless and dependent. Children are helpless and dependent. They are helpless to provide sufficiently for their own needs, and they are therefore dependent upon somebody else to provide for them. And everyone who would enter the kingdom of God must discover that about themselves. That we, even as adults, are helpless and dependent upon another. We are Helpless here in the land of American self-sufficiency. We are helpless to sufficiently provide for our own spiritual needs. When it comes to spiritual things, we are absolutely bankrupt. Absolutely bankrupt. We are without the righteousness, Jesus says, that we need in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, 
in Romans chapter 3, the Bible just comes out and says it. It's quoting, this is so important, God put it in the Bible three times. This is a quote from, from Psalm, from the Psalms. And you'll, you'll find it in Psalm chapter 14. You'll find it again in Psalm chapter 53. And you find it as the Apostle Paul picks it out and puts it in Romans chapter 3. He says there in verses 10 and 11, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. He says some other bad things about us. There is no one good, no, not even one. So Jesus, if we need righteousness in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, but no one is righteous, no, not one, then none of us can enter. Unless there is a way to receive the righteousness we do not have. Unless there is something God has done to make righteousness available to us where you and I are unable to accumulate that righteousness one good deed at a time. Is there another way to have the righteousness God requires of all who would enter the kingdom of heaven like a child? Yes, there is. But you will not possess this righteousness one good deed at a time. If you are still living with the idea that you have lived such a good life that one good deed at a time, you are going to be able to earn your way into the kingdom of heaven on the merit of your own life that way, that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and that when you cancel them out and put them in the scales, the net result is, is good and positive and then on those grounds God will accept you. If that's what you're, if your answer to the question why would God let you into the kingdom of God is I've been pretty good, in, if that's the answer in your heart, no matter what you would say from your mouth, I can, I can promise you, I can say with absolute certainty you will never enter the kingdom of God like that. Never. You cannot get in. The way that leads to life is so narrow that that kind of mentality and heart and existence cannot enter. Jesus says, unless someone receives the kingdom like a child, he cannot enter. You cannot receive something unless it is given or offered. There is some gift which God gives to people who would enter the kingdom of heaven and they only get in because they receive that gift. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 3 as well. That no one, verse 20, Romans chapter 3 verse 20, through works of the law, through trying to do all these good things, nobody, you can't stack one good thing on top of the other and make it in like that. Through works of the law shall no one be justified or put right with God. But rather, through the law, if we achieve anything, all we do is we become conscious, more conscious of our sin. But, Romans 3, 21, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed. A righteousness that is apart from works. It is apart from law. The Old Testament, the law and the prophets testifies about this righteousness, but it is, it is not accumulated one good step of obedience at a time. It is the righteousness, Romans chapter 3, verse 22, that comes to all who believe through faith in Jesus Christ. 
through faith in Jesus Christ. And the obedience in which we put our faith is not our own, but Jesus's. And God counts that faith. I'll talk to you, amen, over here. God counts that faith as righteousness. Paul goes as far in Romans chapter 5 as saying this. Through the obedience of the one man. Let me back you up. Just as through the disobedience of the one man, Romans 5, 19, the many were made sinners through no fault of their own, so through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous through no merit of their own. Through the obedience of the, everybody? You sure your Bible doesn't say two? Jesus plus you. The obedience that God takes into account and by which he declares you righteous, are you sure your Bible doesn't say by the obedience of two? Check. Don't look at me. Check your Bible. Romans 5, verse 19. You don't want God to be fair. Yours says one. I got one over here. One. One over here in the front corner. Do I hear two? One. Do I hear? No. Got another one. Got another one over there. It's just a sold. Sold to Jesus Christ. One man's obedience. You are acceptable in God's sight because of one man's obedience. And that man is not you. It is his perfect obedience And your recognition of the fact that you are destitute, poor, bankrupt spiritually, and that you need him. You are helpless to provide your own way into the kingdom, and you are fully dependent upon Jesus Christ and what he has done for you in the cross, in his perfect life leading up to that cross, in his resurrection from the grave, declaring in no uncertain terms himself to be the son of God with power, Jesus Christ our Lord, raised from the dead. We are all helpless and dependent upon him. God has put Jesus forward as a wrath-absorbing, sin-removing propitiation on the cross to be received by faith in his blood. And all who receive the free gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ will be allowed to enter the kingdom of God and nobody else. Nobody else. Yes, he did just say that. I see some of your disbelief. Nobody else. Some people are upset by reality, but you and I can no more erase the reality I just spoke to you than we can jump in the air and stay there. There are certain things which bring us back down to earth, and, and, and we are bound by these laws just as we are by the law of gravity for the time being. I say for the time being because I'm looking forward to better things, right? Still got that R. Kelly song in my head, I believe I can fly, but it's, 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 it's deeper than that. It's, it's more important than that, right? Where was I? I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) That's what happens when you got more time than you thought, right? What's that? Yeah, permanent law. Thank you. Thank you, Angelo. Permanent law. We're we're bound by these things. The truth that I just said to you, this is true. And it's true independent of our our opinions. It doesn't matter what we think about it. It it will be no less true simply because we find ourselves in the not-so-historically unique position of disagreeing with Jesus. It's still true. 
We must receive the kingdom of God like a child. I used to play soccer in town here for the Richmond Kickers. You know, we've had some other Kickers players pass through and, and become members of the church. Not, not, I'm not saying because of me. They just, they've come. God sent them. Uh, but you, it, it was interesting because every once in a while, one of my friends would call and would say, you know, hey, we, we're planning on coming to the game tonight. Do you have any tickets that you can leave us? And I'd say, sure. You know, so I'd leave them some tickets. And they would walk right up to the gate with nothing in their hand and go right to the will call booth and just say my name. Ray Goodlett, they chopped off, the, it was Ray, uh, that was my uh, soccer player persona. Ray Goodlett left us some tickets. My name is Sheldon Bates. And they would look, here's Ray's envelope and they would say, yep, here are some tickets for Sheldon Bates. He came with nothing but my name. Confidence that I had set aside for him what I said I would set aside for him. And that only by coming in and giving them my name would he be able to enter. Folks, that's how you and I get into the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' good name. It's the fact that he has already secured for us in his life, death, and resurrection, everything that we need to enter. It's through faith in his name. It's coming before God with no other plea. Nothing in my hand I bring, solely to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Anybody who thinks they're getting in any other way is currently deceived. And may God reveal the truth to you. May he open your eyes this morning. Lord, in fact, do that now. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Folks, that's Jesus' main point. That's my main point this morning. I, I do want to share one other thing with you, though. I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. And I'll, I'll be very careful because of present company. I want you to go back to the passage in Mark chapter 10 and look at the very beginning of it. In verse 13, the disciples are turning children away. It's very clear that they see these children as an inconvenience and a, a disruption, if you will, to the present order of things and how they would have things to be. And Jesus is not indifferent to this. He, they're misrepresenting Jesus here. And when you and I misrepresent Jesus, he's never indifferent to that. If anything, he's indignant as he is in this passage. And Jesus says, don't, no, 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 don't do that. That's not me. Let those children come. It's clear that Jesus does not see these children as simply an inconvenience or a disruption to the present order of things as he would have it. His view about these children is diametrically opposed to those of his own disciples. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. There are many examples in our lives of the fact that we often view children very differently than Jesus. Every parent knows this. Every parent knows what it's like to view, view children at times as an inconvenience or a disruption to the order of things that you, would, that you would prefer. And if you've been following the news, I think the most extreme case of this is what we're seeing come out about Planned Parenthood. Now, don't get nervous. I understand present company. What I will say to you is this. Planned Parenthood, despite the fact, and I want you to hear this, despite the fact that Planned Parenthood does do a lot of good things, despite the fact that Planned Parenthood does provide a lot of good, useful, and, and I would say legitimate health care services, especially for lower-income individuals, 
That is true. Despite all of that, Planned Parenthood has become the face, and deservedly so, of much of what is wrong in our society about the way that we view children. If you followed what's going on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and what I want to say this morning is that it is right for children, or right for Christians rather, to view children very differently. Especially as we're talking about children in the earliest stages of their development. It is right for Christians to take a stance that affirms the idea that all human life is equally valuable. All human life, from its very beginnings, all of it is equally valuable in God's eyes. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to show you where we get that idea from. Where does the Christian stance, what, let me say, the Christian's stance is this is what we should believe as Christians. I've had conversations that unfortunately reveal to me that not everyone who professes to be a Christian is here at the moment. But what I want to do is I want to walk us through some things that we find in the Bible that inform us as to what our position should be on human life, especially in its initial stages of development. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And folks, hear me on this one. I know the slander. I know what's being said. This is not because we are anti-woman. We are not anti-women's rights. We are not anti-freedom of choice. We are not anti-health care. We are not anti-any of those things that we would all say are inherently good. We are simply saying, perhaps, based on what we're about to read and believe from the Bible, there are certain choices which, which protect and affirm the value of life, and there are certain choices which do the exact opposite. And as a Christian, we prefer that choices over here would be the ones that are made. That's what we're saying. And we say that with no animosity, no personal uh, hatred for anybody who currently disagrees with us. Do you understand the heart behind this? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I'll do this quickly. So God created man, that is mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every human life is a unique creation of God himself. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. And I'm about as emotional and passionate about this issue as you could possibly imagine. You won't hear that in my voice this morning for some reason. It's just what the Holy Spirit is doing. Maybe he wants me to dial that down so that you just hear the words. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Jeremiah, or let me skip to Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, speaking of John the Baptist. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. 
God has filled human life with his Holy Spirit, in this case, even from his mother's womb. Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 44, just a few verses down from there. The scene is this. Mary has just received word that she has conceived of the Holy Spirit, and she is now carrying the Lord Jesus Christ in her body. She's going to meet her cousin Elizabeth, who is now at the beginning of her third trimester. John the Baptist is six months in development now in her body. And she comes to her cousin Elizabeth. And verse 41 says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The baby in my womb at the beginning of this third trimester could not only sense joy but respond to it and leap. And you and I have made it legal in this country to disregard that baby's humanity in the most violent of ways. If you are a Christian who accepts that the Bible is God's word to us, such ideas and support for such ideas should not be found in you. I expect it to be found in others, not in God's people. That is not a hateful statement. It is the natural outworking of believing what we just read to be true. It is possible to be pro-woman and pro-baby at the same time. Because we are pro-human being. Because all of us are equally valuable in God's sight and made in his image. It is possible to say that we do not want funds to go to an organization that completely disregards what we just read and at the same time to say that we want to see those things redirected in such a way that no woman loses access to vital health care services. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Look at me, church. Are you listening? Nod your head. This is very important. Just like last week, this is not said to condemn anyone for past experiences what we're going through now as we think about things, there are many women for whom the news of a new life is, is a point of crisis. We're not, we're not judging and we're not making any con condemning statements about that. It's very important to understand. We're seeking to walk people through times like that and to help people make life-affirming and life-protecting choices. And, and one of the things, if you're saying, well, what can I do? First, really think about what you just heard. Second, we actually have an organization here that was started by some of our own members called the East End Pregnancy Resource Center of Richmond. You can find the website at eastendpreg.org. Eastendpreg.org. And you can go there and you can see some of the things that are going on, some of the volunteer opportunities. And, and we, we need people to volunteer there. We also need individuals to give, to give to the work of this East End Pregnancy Resource Center because this is one of the efforts going on that is part of God's solution to what we just discussed. Please hear my heart in this Redemption Hill Church. I know what people will say about me. In fact, I've been vocal about some of this stuff on Facebook and some of you have read what people have said about me. 
But that's okay. It just may be that one heart is reached and one life is saved and many lives as we look through the generations. Where's our hope in all of this? Well, it, it's, it, our hope, I think, for entering the kingdom of God, for receiving it like a child, uh, is, is found in the fact that God once sent his son here as a child. Jesus went through all of these stages of human development, by the way. That's how much God thinks about that whole process. He could have sent him any way he wanted to, right? Jesus was once a single-celled zygote. before he became the sacrifice on the cross by which all of us are saved. And our hope of entering the kingdom of God rests squarely on his shoulders. The fact that he came as a child and grew up to be the savior. Well, he started as the savior, but grew up to be the sacrifice that you and I need. Ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to look to him this morning. To look to him this morning and to see all that you need provided by God. Are you still trying to make your own way into the kingdom of God by your goodness? Friends, we have not even lived up to our own standards at times. What do you think the chances are we've lived up to God's standards? Give me Jesus. I'm not that good. Let's pray. Lord, help me and help all of us to embrace what you have done for us through Jesus Christ, that we might receive him and in so doing receive the kingdom of God like a child. Help us to see what you believe about all human life, even in its initial stages of development. And and where our thinking is different than yours, let it change. Bring about repentance. Comfort those who need comfort. If we look to the past and see need of repentance, let us know that we can do that as we do it under your grace. And as we look to the, f- to the future with this, this new understanding of what you think, Lord, help us to do so and let, let our path be one of obedience and faith. And Lord, help us to be wise in the way that we share these things with other people. Not everyone agrees with this at, the, at this moment. But I speak now for the benefit of your church first. Let let repentance take place in us wherever it needs to. And let faith and obedience be present in our lives as we go forward together. And we ask all this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. amen.